A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Welcome to the Mandalorian Podcast. We're the Lorehounds, your guides to a galaxy far, far away. I'm David. And I'm John. And this is our coverage of the Disney Plus original series, The Mandalorian, Season 3, Episode 5. In this podcast, we'll be discussing a scene-by-scene breakdown for Chapter 22, The Pirate, followed by listener feedback and programming notes for our upcoming schedule. Lastly, stick around after the credits because John's going to give me some background material on Sabine, a character we might expect uh, who, who might make an appearance in The Mandalorian before the season is over, and who we know is going to be a major character in the upcoming Ahsoka series. So what do you guys think of this show so far? Write in and let us know. You can send us feedback in two ways. Email us at starwarsatthelorehounds.com or head over to our website and use the contact form or leave a voicemail, which we'll play on the next episode. Go to thelorehounds.com slash contact. If you want to talk Star Wars with us sooner, join us on our Discord server, link in the show notes below. A quick reminder about our Patreon. If you like what we're doing and want to support us directly, check us out at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. For just $3 a month, you get ad-free versions of all of our podcasts, early access, bloopers, and more. Of course, you can get all of our ad-supported podcasts on our main feed by searching for The Lorehounds on your podcast application or platform of choice. And you can also use a nifty little subscription tool that we have at thelorehounds.com. It'll configure the feed URL for whatever application you're using. Lastly, we'd like to ask that if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to rate us on Apple Podcasts. Even better is if you can leave a short review letting others know what you enjoyed about our coverage. There are a lot of people covering this show, and ratings really do have an impact on rankings, which help people find our podcast, which means we can make more podcasts. Yes, and thank you all for the lovely comments you've been leaving. We've gotten some really nice feedback, and we appreciate it. It makes us feel good. Definitely. Definitely, definitely. It makes us feel good. I love reading those reviews when they're positive, and when they're negative, I brush them off. Because I am an emotionless Mandalorian. That's right. So what did you think, John? Episode five, we're more than half, we're one over halfway now. You know, I could nitpick. I could nitpick all night. But the truth is, Dave Filoni has an emotional grip on me that I 
am powerless to resist. And <laughs> when he puts Zeb in the show, it doesn't matter what's in the rest of the episode because my mm-hmm. hype level is over 9,000. Wow, it's, that's it's pretty high. Just, it's just, do you know what, re- what I'm referencing there with Dragon Ball Z? Uh, no, but I know the uh, BFG 9,000. So, well, you know. you know what? Somebody's going to get that in the audience. Anyway. <laughs> it's, all, it's a lot. It's a you lot. You to turn it's into a, a Dragon Ball? No, that is not what that means. But anyway. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was an amazing moment. I mean, I, it, anything else could have happened in the episode. It could have, been, could have been the worst episode ever, and I still would have been like, oh my God, but that was Zeb, and he looked great, right? And yeah. they got the original voice actor from the animated stuff. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's, it was really Zeb. Because when you see him, you go, oh, that's a Lasat. Maybe it's just a different member of that species. And then he talks, and you go, oh, no, that's Zeb. And then nice. he was credited as, as Zeb in the credits, so it, right. it definitely was him. Right. Yeah, and he looked great, too. Like, he for did a fully CGI great. character, next to a real human on a practical set, it's getting scary good. I know, I know. The deep fakes are really here, even yeah. for fake types of Yeah, people. for fake, yeah, a deep fake of a fake. Yeah, yeah, but overall, I mean, I thought it was a good episode. It wasn't the best episode of The Mandalorian I've ever seen. It wasn't the worst either. It was, you know, it was pretty good. Right. Uh, you know, Bo-Katan is shaping up to have a great arc. I think that she's going to be maybe less present for the rest of the season, and I'm okay with that, because I think that we've led her down a good path. Um, I think that the armor fighting was a moment that was so hype that I could not get over it. You know, her <laughs> just swinging the hammer of Thor was just amazing. Uh, even seeing Paz Vizsla break out his gun and, and really go for it. But of course, you know, his gun's no match for the hammer. The hammer is what you needed to take out that turret. Right. Yeah, I mean, it was just good stuff, right? It was just good stuff. Uh, Grief Karga finally calling himself Magistrate. I think mm-hmm. that was a good moment for him. There were a lot of just, like, good moments, right? Moments right. that made me go, hmm. There were some slow moments, too. I thought that the New Republic stuff was mostly weak. Mm-hmm. But overall, I think it mostly paid off. I think it, it might be interesting to see where this Mandalorian framing is going. So right. I, I'm going to hold off judgment on that one. Okay. What did you think about this? Yeah, I would say I was pretty 50-50 on this episode, but not because of the content necessarily or the storyline of the episode, but it was in the execution and the scripting and and some of the action. Um, All of the stuff about Navarro, all of the stuff about the New Republic, Adelphi base, Bo all really interesting in a in a meta context way but there was just some you know uh, poor execution in a couple of the scenes and we'll get to those when we get to the scene by scene um but yeah where the the writing was really meh and um it, it wasn't great that said when i was doing the outline today i was like wow this is a really dense episode it took me yeah. a long time because i was checking my references as i was going you know i like to Check out what kind of ship is that, or what does Corsair mean, or, you know, I like to do all those little niddly, uh, deep divey things. And it took me quite a while to get through this episode, because they're still packing a lot of density into these episodes. Right. Even though, yeah, there was some real cringy <laughs> moments uh, a couple of times. Um so the bow arc and the armor, I'm really loving this 
arc that the armorer is on? Because a lot of us thought for a while that she was a mustachioed, you know, twirling, you know, uh, villain who is, you know, a, a zealot and is going to be, you know, dogmatic about things. But I'm sensing that they're making her a little bit more of a complex character. We still don't know all her motivations, but when she's looking at something and she's going, whoa, okay, Mandalore is not, you know, to a toxic waste zone. There is a real mythosaur. Bo-Katan is an important, an important person. My creed, you know, while I'm following a particular pathway, that doesn't necessarily mean that there are others who have to follow that. And in fact, we need all of us together. When we, when we are together, we can accomplish great things, which I think is the whole Ragnar little subplot that we had last time, which right. was we're rescuing the kid, and here you had a Vizsla, you had a Kreez, you had Din Djarin, who's a foundling, you know, two noble houses in a foundling, um, and they're all working together, and they can accomplish something that's really hard. So I, I like that the armor is not just this uh, crazy religious zealot and that Bo-Katan is having this really interesting arc. And I think, you know, that's it goes to one of the things that Star Wars, the core of Star Wars is, and, and shout out to our friend uh, Elisa in Amsterdam. I was chatting with her a little bit on the side this morning, and we were talking about optimism and optimism in Star Wars. And that's one of the things that Star Wars has always been about is an optimistic view of the future. At least it started out that way, right? Like, well, the prequels let's not tell that to, to George. I'm sorry, not George. Uh, let's not tell that to Tony Gilroy. I don't know right. if he got that memo. <laughs> well, you know, as as bleak as 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 uh, Luthen's interior emotional landscape might be, he is fighting for a better future, right? So there's this this sense of optimism and striving even in the face of things, and I like that. This show is becoming more than just uh, adventure of the week, but it's really pulling us towards something, and that is people coming together to try to you know work on a greater good. And I got a lot of feels from this episode when we got into that stuff. Uh, so yeah, there's some weak script elements, but as an episode overall, packed full of good stuff. You know, well, it's it's not my favorite of the season so far, but it's fine. It's you know, got our jammies on. We're eating cereal. You know, it's okay. <laughs> Listen, if dialogue is enough to take you out of you know your immersion, yeah, this is not the franchise for you, right? No, <laughs> from the beginning, from seventy seven. Let's not pretend this was ever a high quality dialogue franchise. Harrison Ford said, "You can type this shit, but you can't say it." It is. Almost a hallmark, right? To have this mm -hmm. campy dialogue of Star Wars. And and you know what? Let's put on our jammies. Mine are already on. They've been on this whole season. <laughs> let's put on our jammies. Let's head into a galaxy far, far away. And let's enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. Um, last point before we uh, start uh, pouring ourselves a second bowl of cereal here. Um, the one thing that I really also liked about... You know, it, it's this is coming. I mean, it's, it's something that I've known, but it's not something I've really articulated. Which is, we saw in this fight, you know, in one of these scenes with Bo Katan, where where the armorer says to Bo, like, "Do you respect my station?" And she's like, "Yeah." And then I'm like, "Oh, what is the armorer station?" I just thought she was the cult leader of this, you know, crazy, you know, subgroup. She's the Pope. 
Right. But she's the pope of this, you know, this tribe or this this uh, this subgrouping of them. Okay. But she's also the armorer, right? And then in the last episode, when she's talking to Grogu about the forge and we we forge ourselves, like we forge the steel and we try to, you know, improve ourselves through that. And so having the forge as the center of Mandalorian culture and of values it makes sense that the armor is a priest, you know, or, or this interlocutor of, you know, what is holy, quote unquote, you know, I'm using that loosely, um, for Mandalorians. Well, who translates that? The armorer does. Normally, armorers are just functionaries, just like a cobbler or a baker or, you know, shoe shiner or whatever. But here, the, the armorer is uh, a very central and important part this sort of priest in a way. Right. And I really just had a, a really interesting vision of the armor when she says that to Bo in this episode. So again, just more depth to the show. And, and as, as well, we can wear our jammies and eat our cereal, but there's more going on. And I, I just really appreciate that. Yeah. You know what I was thinking about today? Because, mm. you know, I have philosophical thoughts about Star Wars during the day. <laughs> well, yeah, of course. Is that you know, we say, oh, as an episode of television, this wasn't great and things like that. But mm -hmm. right. let's be honest, no piece of art has ever been viewed in isolation. You know, mm -hmm. you don't you don't look at a Van Gogh painting and I'm sorry, Van Gogh, if you're in Britain, I won't offend you. <laughs> but you don't look at this painting and not know that he cut his ear off. Right. You don't not mm -hmm. know his history and you wouldn't consider the art in, a, in an intelligent way without knowing that history. And so when you look at Star Wars, it's not just about the episode of TV. It's about the Zeb tie-in. It's about, you know, mm -hmm. the animated series that came before. It's about the comic tie-ins. It's about a game show being connected in the last episode. It's about the mm -hmm. history of George Lucas and what it did for film. And, like, that's all part of the mythos of Star Wars. And mm -hmm. so I kind of don't feel badly. I mean, I shouldn't anyway because I'm just enjoying something. But I definitely don't feel badly about being on this hype train because at the end of the day, my my view of this show is very much informed by the entirety of Star Wars, the multimedia project that is Star Wars. Yeah. And I think it's time we all let go a little bit. And we don't need to nitpick scripts and things like that. That's not this kind of show. If it were The Last of Us, sure, we could nitpick the dialogue, because that's the right. goal of that show, is to give us these quality lines. But this is not that. This is, this is something that is supposed to be a grand adventure, where mm -hmm. you can put on your jammies, have fun, and maybe learn something at the end of the day. And I think we got that in this episode, even in one of these weaker episodes. Right. Yeah, it's interesting that you're, you know, talking about the multimedia project that Star Wars is. They're really doing a lot of work this season to tie that in. And we were talking about this on the last episode. And, you know, we've got Zeb in this episode, you know, we, we obviously with Bo-Katan brought in, you know, Dr. Um, Dr. Pershing. Uh, you know, wider elements. Uh, it, it's interesting because as they're introducing these characters, we've got Ahsoka and Luke in the last season. They're they're creating these linkages and bridges. So no matter what actually comes in season four or what actually comes in Ahsoka, there's little contact points all throughout the storytelling so that you uh, other creators can it's like Lego pieces or Tinker Toy kind of things, right? Where oh well, here's a contact point. Let me uh, connect up a rod here, and then I'll put another you know wheel spoke over here, and then I'll connect that thing over there. 
and we can just keep building this universe out no matter what the medium is, be it a game show, a book, a, you know, a podcast, a, a, an animated thing. And we can just sit here and en- enjoy this world continuing to build itself out in this crazy geometric forms going forward. And that's pretty cool. I, I don't think a lot of other IP-driven um, uh, franchises have the rich world building. I mean, MCU comes close, but they're on real specific paths, right? They have very linear tracks that they're moving towards. Right. Um, but the comics, I-, I think, are a good comparison, right? Like, the way that... So so here's what the way I think about it is. When uh-huh. we look at Tolkien, I'm going to bring everything yeah. back to Tolkien. Oh, when we look at Tolkien, Tolkien, Tolkien said... You know, I I want other people to be able to create. Mm-hmm. You know, but he, uh, this has been taken out of context. Apparently, Marilyn right. I think said this, but you know, I want people to be able to create worlds like mine and and in worlds like mine. And when we look at Tolkien now, we really want to know what he thought happened with that uh-huh. rock that's in Numenor. You know, we mm-hmm. we don't care about what if I wrote a story about it, nobody would care. Right. But Star Wars has always been this collaborative yes. thing. It's yes. not been out of the head of one guy. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, the big ideas come out of the head of one guy, but uh, it's always been a collaborative thing. You know, he always had help with scripts. Um, you know, films in general cannot be done by one person. They're a huge collaborative effort. And then you look at the EU, you look at, you know, even the current canon novels, things like that. You know, Dave Filoni's work, the way that all these people have added to this lore that have looked at things that caught their eye in the background and they yes. decided to tell that story. Yes. You know, what did Wolf Ularen do? You know, who who is that guy with the strange mm-hmm. outfit in in the Death Star? Mm-hmm. I think it's fascinating. I think it's a beautiful thing. I think it's a it's a wonderful I think Star Wars is the American science fiction tradition. Interesting. It is it is a melting pot of ideas, right? It yeah. is just so diverse in its ideas. It is so diverse in, in its approaches. You can have an Andor, you can have a Mandalorian, you can have a game show. And yeah. I love it, and I'm all in, and we have waxed <laughs> on this for 20 minutes. Yeah, well, that's good. That's what people come in, that, that's why the people are coming here, for, for <laughs> us to do this kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm going to be sad when this season ends, um, because it's going to be a minute before we get Ahsoka. And I'm going to be like, wow, I'm really jonesing for my next Star Wars fix. Because this episode, or this season has done, that, yeah, this incredible thing, which is it's just unfolding this world for us um, and giving us uh, depth and complexity, while at the same time, you know, we're just having some fun and watching some space battles. So, yeah, it's a really unique time to be a Star Wars fan. And I'm... I'm Fingers crossed, we're, we're going to see more and more good stuff like this. Absolutely. Well, I think we really need to get into this Move it stuff along. already. <laughs> <laughs> Two quick callbacks to uh, the last episode. There is some speculation floating around that the ship that Kellerin and Grogu escaped on might have been Jar Jar's yacht, because he's a senator. And those were royal Naboo uh, security force you know, uh, guys that were guarding it there. And uh, so that would be a really interesting thing if um, Kellerin, who was the actor who, you know, played Jar Jar, then they were escaping on Jar Jar's ship. Like, that would be a really <laughs> fun sort of triple tie-in. Yeah. Um, and then there's something else, and I don't know if we need to, you know, this is maybe for a, a season wrap or, or on the Discord. And just shout out to the Discord, because we've been having some amazing conversations with 
folks on our Discord. So head over and check it out because we're having a good time there. Um, but the Shriek Hawk, there is there some connection with the Shriek Hawks in Death Watch? I, I don't heard know. someone's yeah, got to tell us. Yeah. So if you know anything about the Shriek Hawk group and Death Watch, write in, send us a voicemail, or you know. Um, you know, use the contact form on the website because uh, there's some there's I heard on the Internet somewhere that there was some sort of connection there. Anyway. Let's move along. Ready for the scene by scene? I am ready. OK, so this was about a 35 minute runtime. Roughly, it was hard to tell with uh, all the, the intros and outro stuff. And it was directed by Peter Ramsey, who is famous for having directed the Into the Spider-Verse movie. Oh, that's cool. I never watched yeah. that, but I heard it was very good. I never watched it either, and, it, and a lot of people say it's their absolutely favorite Spider-Man, you know, property of, of both Sony and of the MCU, and I think we're getting another Spider-Verse movie this year, too. So. Oh, that's cool. Well, they're wrong, yeah. because Tobey Maguire is the only Spider-Man, but anyway, <laughs> uh, let's move on. The previously on uh, sets up some stuff for Moff Gideon, Paz Vizsla's relationship to Din and Bo, Bo's relationship to the armor. And the uh, Navarro, New Republic land and pirates and all that kind of stuff. So we open up back on Navarro and High Magistrate Grief Karga is meeting with some planning engineers when Pirate King Gorian Shard brings in his Cumulus class Corsair into Threaten the Down. <laughs> Sorry, listeners, I had to say that a few times. So catch the bloopers on that one. They have a brief interaction about who shot first and whether the New Republic is actually able to protect. The Spinward Rim. Okay, first of all, I love the who shot first callback. Mm-hmm. It was subtle enough, right? If you don't know about this controversy, you'll totally miss it. But I thought it was funny to say, oh, who shot first? It was yeah. Han. Han shot first. Han shot first. Always been that way. But yeah, it's a very interesting little... Uh, there's, been a, there's a lot of member berries in this episode. There's a lot of little uh, callbacks and stuff. I do yeah. love the uh, seeing the stump of IG-11 out front of the office there. They still have left his body half intact. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty fun. And um, the uh, Gorian Shard uh, tells Karga basically not to bluff because he's not playing Sabaka, which is the poker of the Star Wars universe. Yeah, um, the that's Wikipedia shown up quite a bit. Yeah, Wikipedia has a great article on Sabaka, and apparently, or Sabak, sorry, I'm, I'm yep. pronouncing it wrong. I'm thinking Sabatka from The Wire, who was one of the characters in season two. Ah. Yeah. Um, Sabak is, um, so on the Wikipedia, they got a great article on it, uh, and apparently somebody actually, like, trademarked that before the Star Wars people could, and then they, like, they've made some games around it, and there's, like, a big legal back and forth about it. Um, but yeah, it seems like it's actually a fully fleshed out game that you might be able to play. So that's kind of fun. Oh, nice. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And I noticed that the Gorian, uh, shard also, uh, mentions the pirate nation, which is interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. I didn't think about that. Actually. I, I, mm -hmm. I just want Hondo. Can we just be honest? We all right. want Hondo. Filoni, why are you being withholding? Well, I think he's setting him up here, right? It, it, is this is a good way to to get that, you know? Because now that they've uh, uh, taken out uh, Shard, you know, the pirate nation may get a little upset about that. The most Hondo way for him to make an entrance though would have been in this episode okay. after I don't know after after the whole ship goes down, 
he like uh-huh. hops out of an escape pod and goes, oh, I tried to take a nap in the only quiet spot. What's everyone doing? <laughs> Something goofy. That is very Hondo. Okay. okay. Got it. And and I, I don't want him to be this big boss. I want him to be doing something goofy. That's the Hondo I want. Got it. All right. Fingers crossed. Shard cuts communication as his ship begins to bombard the town. Karga sends a message via droid as the citizens flee in terror. So the this is something that frustrated me, actually. Why would he not go right to Mando? Why did he go to the Republic first? Uh-huh. Well, because, maybe he doesn't. Yeah, that's true. Because clearly it had to go to Mando eventually. It had to go to Din eventually. Right. And I don't know. I, I feel like this guy is very hesitant to contact the New Republic. And, you know, understandably, they got a pretty good thing going. And the New Republic seems like a nightmare to deal with. Right. But, yeah, I mean, I feel like this was a little bit of a lazy writing way to get the New Republic out there to find the ship with Moff Gideon. And I didn't love that. I, you know, there, you, you can call anybody in the Star Wars universe, right? Like, there's some magic ways that you can, like, reach out across the universe and right. drop somebody a message. Um, I don't know. I, I, my thought was that he was just thinking of who's the best armed and who's out here on the regular. And that would have been the New Republic uh, patrol. And yeah, so, maybe. Yeah, that's the way I read it. Maybe, but I don't know who who shot down the pirates in one fell swoop last time. Yeah, well, it was it was Mando. Yeah, totally. But you know, does where is Mando? What what forces to you know? Grief doesn't have any intel on where he is or or what backup yeah. he could actually provide. So that that's was my fair. thought. Yeah, that's fair. Maybe he thought that Cara Dune would come back and help him, which uh, <laughs> I, don't so. I don't think so. I don't think so. Filoni's not going to put him back in. Put her back in. So in terms of uh, talking about the, uh, I don't want to call it lazy writing of it all, but it's definitely a big old member berry here is uh, leaning down and uh, having a droid record your um, urgent message to someone. Ah, that's just something that they do. They've been doing that since 77. It's not just a 77 movie. That's just a Star Wars thing. I don't think that qualifies. Okay. All right. it, It really jumped out at me. I was just like, oh boy, here we go. Um, but I thought it was really interesting because it really made me think uh, that wasn't interesting per se. It was what that scene did and made me really think about, um, the 77 movie and that recorded message that Leia makes, um, because that movie, right, which was the first thing, it was sui generis, right? It didn't, you know, it, it was just out of nowhere. And here's Leia talking about General Kenobi. You uh-huh. served my father in the Clone Wars. Survival of the Rebellion. Help me. You're my only hope. Like, the, the whole thing. When we were kids and we heard that, what, General Kenobi? This dude was a general? What are the Clone Wars? The Rebellion? is It's faltering? Like, that whole message that she reads to R2 had so much power and potency and such impact that it is kind of, it's like, oh, God, they're doing it again, right? They're doing the little member buried thing. But it did give me something in this instance, which is like, oh, yeah, that Princess Leia message was really impactful in 1977, setting up the whole world and the whole franchise. So, sure, yeah. You know, I, I got a little extra boost from that today. Okay, well, then... Have your member berry stew. Yes, exactly. I'm going to put some member berries in my cereal here. 
There you go. Yeah, fresh ones. Nice. Um, I do have to say now, though, that the CGI in this episode was amazing. Gurian's shard ship looked awesome as it was like hovering over the town and the gun ports were coming out and all that kind of stuff. It was very cool to see that ship doing its thing. You know, what's great is that for, you know, forever, because we didn't have CGI, everything was practical effects. Yeah. And then it was all CGI because they just wanted to put it in everything. Yes. Now yeah. they're making educated decisions on when they want to use each one. Mm-hmm. And so Gorian Shard can be practical and yep, right. Grogu can be a puppet, but this ship can be CGI and it'll look great. And it, uh, a great it looked. It was an absolutely gorgeous looking ship. Yeah. All right, we get the title card, The Pirate, with some funky accordion music versions of the main theme song. Did you catch this? <laughs> I did not, but now it makes sense. Yeah, I think it was a very sea shanty kind of thing that was happening there. Right. You makes know, what sense. What do we do with a drunken sailor? Yeah. What do we do with a helmetless Bo-Katan? Mm, I don't know. You're going to have to work on that one to get it into a song. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I'll workshop right. it. There you go. All right, we jump to uh, another planet, and we see a Y-Wing landing at what we later learn is the New Republic Delphi base. We see Captain Carson Teva, who's been a recurring character, receiving the message from Karga. After listening to the message, Teva talks with another Rebellion pilot, Zeb uh, Orleos. Is that how we pronounce Aurelios. his last name? Aurelios, thank you. Alessat who is notably one of the main characters in the animated series Rebels. Zeb tells Teva that HQ on Coruscant has not replied in weeks, so Teva says that he will go there himself. Yeah, so our uh, friend of the pod, Elisa in Amsterdam, sent us in a voicemail with a little bit of information about Zeb. So let's take a listen to that real quick. Hey, Alicia from Amsterdam here. Uh, excuse me while I back off from the mic for a moment to have a little reaction. Um, I hope at least John made that s a similar sound when the Rebels cameo happened right at the beginning of the episode this week. Um, yeah, a certain Lissat character walked up to Captain Tiva after he received Grief Karga's plea for help. And uh, for non-Rebels watchers, this was uh, Garazeb Aurelios, uh, usually just called Zeb. The credits even confirm that it's really him. So uh, Zeb is one of the main characters from Rebels, and without giving away any Rebels spoilers, I'm definitely wondering how he got from the end of that show to this outpost cantina and um, how close other important people in his life might be. Um, not just the ghost crew, but I'm also wondering about another <clears throat> close friend of his. Um, this is giving me strong hopes that we might see Ahsoka and the ghost crew before her show even, but even if not, this was absolutely incredible. Uh, unrelated, I was also super delighted to get another reference to R5 serving in the Rebellion. It's the leaky droid redemption arc my heart never knew it needed. Yeah, I did make a similar noise. I was <laughs> quite enamored with this cameo. I hear your hype, Elisa, and I raise you. I hope we get all the cameos from Rebels. I'm here for it. Uh, I know that Sabine has already been cast for Ahsoka. That's, I, I, if that doesn't happen, they are insane. Because they already have the casting. They know who they're going to use in the live-action universe. You have Bo-Katan going off to find other Mandalorians. So that's, I think that's definitely going to happen. Whether we get, as you say, Zeb's friend from Rebels, I think that would be super cool, too. I don't think we get enough of stories like that in the live action, and there's plenty to have it 
there's plenty to have in the uh, animated series. So I'm I'm really excited to see more of these cameos. I love that Rebels is finally getting sort of the the elevation I think it deserves because I think Rebels is a really fantastic series. I think it's some of the best character work done in <laughs> Star Wars. I think some of the best character development in Star Wars. And I think because it had a more kiddie animation style, it was often overlooked, whereas The Clone Wars has always been pretty revered. And yeah, I mean, I, I'm just glad that they're finally following up on it because I, I think I said this to you earlier today, David. The Rebels storyline ended in a place where I thought it could have gone on another couple seasons even. Right, it was right. it was definitely an ending that left me wanting more. It didn't feel tired. And so mm-hmm. I'm really glad we're finally getting some kind of follow-up. That's very cool. Now, the um, Lasat are people who have suffered under the boot heel of the Empire, right? So I think... The character Zeb is a real diehard anti-Empire yes. type of guy. Yes. Uh, Zeb, the, the Lasats are from Lasan, which is mm-hmm. you know, the planet that they were on. Right. And they basically had their planet destroyed. I think it's still there. It wasn't like Death Star, but it was you know made uninhabitable, basically. Right. I could be wrong about that. Don't write in. But the point is, their whole population was, was really destroyed by the Empire. You know... Whether there's another secret home world of the Lasats that you'll have to watch Rebels to find out. But, okay. Uh, yeah, so the, he has a lot of anti imperial sentiment. He is not a fan. He fought in the rebellion with, you know, that's the whole point, Star Wars Rebels. And I'm just glad that he's still kicking after, yeah. the, uh, after the Battle of Endor. So there was another notable person uh, at that bar scene. Uh, it seemed like Dave Filoni was sitting at the other end. You could see him wearing his hat. Yeah, apparently, I think you're right. Yeah, he was in another episode in season two, I think it was, where he was another X-Wing pilot. So that would make oh, sense nice. if he's recurring that character, then it would make sense that he is at the Adelphi base here, you know, where uh, Captain Teva is, because I think he was flying with him. So uh, that that all tracks, but a fun little cameo. You can totally see him. That tra- that hat is just like you know trademark stuff. So, um, all this right, don't whole... at me because yeah, okay, I'm gonna make a comparison now, and I'm not uh, necessarily comparing quality. Okay, but as far as the love for the source material, I think that Filoni is on the level with Star Wars that Peter Jackson is with Tolkien. Mm. as far as like how in love with the franchise he is and to see him get to be on screen with this franchise you know i'm just happy for him you know i just it just looks fun and it looks like he's really having a good time yeah i would say that he's that his level of uh love and affection for is is in the same league as jackson's for sure i would totally agree with that um i thought you know this is the first time that we're learning about the adelphi rangers as uh, Teva later refers to themselves. And that reminded me, wasn't there supposed to be Tales of the Rangers or something like that, another spinoff uh, show? Oh, I don't know. I know that yeah. there was going to be Rogue Squadron. That was going to be mm. a thing, and that got canceled. Okay. Or I don't know if it got canceled or Patty Boyd just left it. Patty Boyd is the Wonder Woman director, right? right? That's her name. Uh, 
yeah, so she like left the project. I don't know. Everybody's leaving Star Wars projects now. I don't know if you saw, but Damon Lindelof also left his Star Wars projects. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, if a Star Wars movie comes out in the next five years, I'll be shocked. Interesting. Yeah, we're really in the stuck into the TV world with Star Wars for the moment. Um, yeah. Well, that's a whole other conversation, though. Yeah. <laughs> so. But I really got a lot of Andor vibes as well as Rogue One vibes from this scene, um, just with the music, that funky music, and then the sort of Vietnam War era vibe of the Quonset huts and the bass and the, you know, the way that the bar was all kind of set up, So, which was a very Rogue One in, in yeah. how Rogue One was uh, styled. And I don't know if you saw, but a lot of missable details in the bar and the wide shot. There's a head of one of the Imperial probe droids, and there's a whole collection of helmets, of different trooper helmets and stuff like that. So hmm. a fun to freeze frame and, and pick out a few Easter eggs uh, at the bar there, as you would expect at a bar of that sort of style. Yeah, for sure. All right, David, let's take a quick break. And when we get back, we will get back into the New Republic. And we're back. All right, John. So the next scene that we got is uh, Teva's X-Wing jumping into Coruscant, where he reports to Colonel Tuttle. In the background, we see Amnesty Officer G-68, Elia Kane. And then we see an R-Unit dumping more data files onto Colonel Tuttle's desk as Capta, Captain Teva barges his way in. And uh, we have Tim Meadows from Saturday Night Live playing uh, <laughs> Colonel Tuttle here. So a lot of people were having fun at, at seeing this particular actor in the Star Wars universe. I think he's been, I think somebody said he's been in it before as like okay. a prisoner or something. I don't know. Mm. Like like a like in this position, but was a prisoner on some kind of ship. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's true. I have not verified this, but I'm putting it out there. A little bit. Yeah. The R unit was uh, really reminiscent of uh, Dr. Pershing where, you know, the robot, uh, the droid just kept dumping more data files and more work and more work. <laughs> I wonder if it was even the, R, the same R unit, that, which would be kind of funny. But obviously, we're telling a story here of the overwhelmed New Republic. And right. we can see them really weak in the knees. Well, weak in the knees isn't the right thing here. They're, they're on shaky ground. They're, they're dealing with a lot more than I think they were you know, ready to, to work on, which... So we get into Tuttle listens to only a portion of the message as Kane slips in to offer to make a commissary run, and Tuttle asks about asks her about the outer rim, and then the three of them debate the status of Navarro and providing resources to planets who've not signed the new Republic Charter versus those who have. Kane's opinions uh, seem to sway Tuttle from authorizing uh, any requests, and Teva warns that something is brewing. Um, and we get Colonel Tuttle, which I think is a very telling line. He says, this is not a rebellion anymore. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, you do see that in the real world, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you know what? I just saw an article about, and I don't want to get political, but this is just a real world analog, I think. There was an article that the Taliban 
is getting interviewed about running Afghanistan and they're all mad about their commutes into uh, <laughs> the capital and and how working office jobs is boring compared to, you know, trying to overthrow a government. And it's it's kind of funny, you know, you see the real world analog of, you know, yeah. it's it's one thing to topple a government. It's another thing to run it. Yeah. Being a, a rebel is not being an administrator. Right. Um, and, exactly. and dealing with all these requisitions and, and they, you know, they say to Teva, like, look, we've got a lot of requests for support, you know, and, and this is one that's not part of our, you know, uh, charter. Like, yeah, what do, what, what do we do? And being, being in that oppositional standpoint is in some ways a lot easier than it is governing. Governing is really, really hard. Right. And you know what? You kind of see his point, right? Because Navarro did say, nah, screw you guys. We'll do it mm -hmm. ourselves. And not only are they not accepting the help of the New Republic, I doubt they're paying any kind of taxes into the into the government. I doubt that they're sending a representative. They're try not trying to help build this thing. So, I mean, if I'm in the position of allocating resources, I probably am going to send help to people who are participating in our new government before I do that for somebody who suddenly wants help after they're in trouble, but didn't want to be a part of it when they weren't in trouble. Right. Well, and then Teva makes the point to to Kane like that, you know. Oh, you're going to let them suffer. Even you know, wh who are we? Are we the Rep the new republic where everyone can live and flourish under our general, you know, uh, our ability to sort of maintain order writ large, or um, you're going to let them suffer because they don't sign your you know silly little paper, right? I mean, that is a, a really strong tension because as you say, if you're not paying to have those resources available when you need them, then it's like it's like back in the day, um, you had to subscribe to firefighting services, right? If you did mm. not, if you weren't paying a particular firefighting outfit, right, then they wouldn't put out your fire if, if one got started in your neighborhood. Uh, and so having that standardized governmental service, you know, there's a lot of sociological benefits to that. And again, we're trying not to get too political here, but it's the question that the show is raising, which is, are, you are or you're not part of the New Republic, and do you benefit by us being around or not, directly or indirectly? So, right. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty tricky. It's pretty tricky here. And you know what? We could say we're not going to get political, and I don't want to talk about real world politics too much, but Star Wars has always been a political thing, right? Like, there's yeah, always right. been politics in Star Wars. And Absolutely. it's always reflected on the real politics of the time. And it's always had its internal politics. The prequels are, you know, a lot of people at the time said it was too political. I think now it's funny. Tastes have changed. And I think people crave politics in their shows now. Well, look at Andor. Yeah, right. I mean, exactly. Was... It's, it's just funny how that changes. But yeah. And I think that's part of why the prequels have aged better than they were received at the time. But... Yeah, I mean, the, the Old Republic, you know, it's not really the Old Republic, that's a different thing, but the, right, the Republic, Republic in the prequels also could not keep its whole system together, mm -hmm. and why would the New Republic, which is just basically a ragtag group of rebels that almost got wiped out several times by the, by the Empire, mm -hmm. why would they be able to do a better job right away? Right. It's just, it's I mean, it took a, a huge amount of time. I'm reading the High Republic books right now. And when I say that, I mean, I'm slogging through the first one because it's kind of a chore. But uh -huh. the, you know, the whole thing is the chancellor at the time, the high chancellor at the time goes, oh, yeah, we're going to expand to the Outer Rim now. And 
so that's, you know, uh, I, I think 100 years or, or maybe 300 years, but a few hundred years before the current republic. And it seems like they never even got there by the, the prequel republic. Right. So clearly right. this republic, this galaxy is too big to rule is one Huge. thing. It really exactly. is just too big to rule. And this insistence that it is ruled by this one entity, I think is a weakness. And maybe that's something that the show is starting to go for. Interesting. Well, as uh, Teva says, you know, well, but, uh, I'll get to his quote in a second, but a lot of this, um, there's a little bit of an expedition, uh, exposition dump here in this conversation, and certainly some setup for Gideon. And as Teva leaves, he says, there's something dangerous happening out there. All these events, it's not a coincidence. And by the time it becomes big enough for you to act, it'll be too late. So I think that goes to your point, John, that this is a big universe and it's really hard to govern. Right. But at the same time, if you don't have anything at all, then you're never going <coughs> to come off Gideon, right? Like if it, yeah. It's tricky, right? You need some kind of unifying force, but does it have to be a full government? I don't know. I don't know. I, don't, I really don't know. It's a, it's a tough question. And I don't think that uh, Filoni and Favreau have come to a conclusion either. No. All right. Back on Navarro, High Magistrate Karga leads his people out of exile and through the wilderness for about 40 seconds. Um. <laughs> This, sorry, I had to go there. Um, this was the worst of the episode for me, just seeing them wandering around in the, in the desert here. And uh, <laughs> it was just bad. It was just very poor. And it's like, this is the entire remnants of the town of Navarro. Like, okay, this is really, uh, it was just bad. <laughs> All right. Um, we cut to a scene of Captain Teva landing on the secret planet of the Mandalorian covert. Teva speaks with Din about the situation in Navarro. We learn that R5 is a rebellion spy, and Teva uh, appeals to Din's loyalty and to his friend, and Din questions why Teva has come to him. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. The, uh, we, we had talked about this when he first came mm -hmm. up, right? R5? Yep. Did you bring this up that there's some kind of other side story about how he maybe faked his or, or damaged himself pur purposefully? So that yeah, I think R2... Elisa had, had said, yeah, she said yeah, something yeah, yeah, on the yeah. Discord. Or, yeah. Alicia, yeah. Yeah. She, I think, I think brought that up. But it's, it's interesting. You know, this, I like that this is the, the I, th I think Alicia said in her message today, it's the redemption arc of R5. Yes, exactly. We, had, we already rehabilitated the reputation of Ahmed Best, and now we're going for R5. Um, great CGI of the ship flying through atmosphere. Again, the whole, all the visual effects this episode were great. And then the sound effects of uh, when he's looking for where the covert is, those are straight out of Empire Strikes Back. Uh, when Han is looking for Luke out in the, in the ice planet. On the oh, I thought that was Han. a huge issue, David. I thought we can't reuse sound effects, <sighs> God forbid, or we're going to take a big dump on the Clone Wars. Yeah. All right. I'm, 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 I've been drinking the Kool-Aid, man. I've been uh, drinking the blue milk. <laughs> there you go. The You've been milk. drinking the blue milk? Yeah, it's happening. Straight from, fresh, fresh from the beast. Fresh from um, the udder. Great. Yes. Uh, but interesting here, this whole thing about friendship versus bigger issues, right? And how friendship interlocks with these bigger issues you know teva is like appealing to him he's like your buddy's in trouble and i thought you should know maybe it's not your fight but hey who am i to to say what you think is important or not but it's really teva who bridges the link here to get the mandalorians to go to navarro right you know to or to give them the information so that they can make the decision 
So that's really interesting that this, you know, uh, lone rebel pilot out in the out in the rim, you know, he does he's sort of living his his um republic values, right? And he's like, "Hey man, I promise I won't say nothing. Your friends in trouble. I won't say nothing about where you guys are hiding out right now. And who knows, you know, it may, may it may work out to everyone's benefit if you actually can get involved in some way. So that was, uh, it's nice to see, uh, you know, characters sort of acting consistent within their, their frameworks there. Captain Teva, it seems on your expense report, it says <coughs> that you flew to this planet that's not on our <laughs> charter. And it's not you, in your patrol range. Can you explain this to the, uh, the comptroller? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know that that's going to happen. I know. That's the problem. It's not a rebellion anymore. You're not going right. off rogue. You got to right. submit your expense reports. That's right. You got to, you know, fill in your quarterlies. All right. Din appeals to the covert to help Navarro. Din offers that the covert may find wel- a welcome place for them there. Paz Vizla stands with Din as the Mandalorians agree to fight. So our culture may flourish and our children can feel what it is to play in the sunlight, says Din. Good speech. I did see Vizsla turning around coming. I, you know, as soon as he started talking, I said, all right, he's just going to speak in favor of it. He's not a monster. Right. Mm-hmm. So it feels, or does it feel earned enough to you that he's actually found uh, something worthy in Din and Bo? Uh, I don't even know if it's definitely that he thinks that they're worthy. I think that he... Well, you know what I mean. Um, the, yeah, I think I think he's just grateful about his son, right? I think okay. he's he's like, I owe you one, right? Well, and he's all rousing. He's just like, why do we fight? Because we're Mandalorians. You know, yeah. it's a very you know uh, yeah. uh, you know he's a big tank, right? He wants to fight. John Favreau's getting pretty good at these tough guy voices. Yeah, he's, don't want to fight him. Right. <laughs> and it's interesting again. It's sort of to to pick up where I left off on the on my last thought, which is you know, friendship and wider issues. And then this issue is really bringing the Mandalorians out, out of hiding and, and into the center of the action that's happening in the wider world. And I also thought it was really interesting to see, you know, when, when Vizsla says, you know, it's like, oh yeah, you know, uh, or, or Din and, and, and then both refer to foundlings and how they put foundlings at the center of the life of, you know, the covert and of Mandalorian society. So. Right, right. And I got some. I got some feels here. I got some feels when Vizlo was rallying the, the Mandalorians. I'm, yeah, I'm not lie. he gave a good speech. Yep. Everybody rehearsed for this meeting. Yes, they did. All right, we get some pre-battle montage with lots of exposition. Bo explaining their tactics and extolling the virtues of living on Navarro as they travel through hyperspace. Um, again, the visuals all look great here, but this was another place of just kind of weak writing. A lot of lot of talking explaining things to us on screen as opposed to the characters speaking as they would to each other. What, are you going to go in without explaining the plan? You got the big map in, in Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon. You're going right. to do that. You know, and everyone, everybody needs to stop being so cranky and just, just let it wash over you. Uh, I was a little cranky on this one. All right, but, well, you know, go, I'm go fine. be cranky on the N1. <laughs> we see scenes of the ruin of Navarro and the pirate scum making a mess of things. We see the N1 jumping in and attacking Gorian Shard's ship. Grief and Din exchange pleasantries as Mando clears the table. It was a good plan, I thought. You know, distract them with yeah. 
oh, yeah, Din because good. he knows Din and he's going to be mad and he's going to want revenge. Absolutely. And then sneak everybody else in. I thought it was a good plan. I thought it was, it was well executed. The N1 is a hell of a fighter. <laughs> that thing moves. Yeah. Uh, I kind of like really this. Got it. Uh, yeah, I kind of mm-hmm. like this whole let's have one big ship and then this one little bug that's going to fly around and annoy people. Mm-hmm. I, I, I thought it was a, a lot of good, you know, flight choreography. Is that, is yeah. that, is that what yeah. I'm trying to say here? Um, yeah, I think that that works. I understand yeah, what you're saying. I thought it was a lot of good flight choreography. I thought it was a, a lot of good visuals. And it, it's just kind of, it's kind of fun. I don't think I've seen this in, in Star Wars before. Right. And, and I love that, that it was just above the surface of the planet, which is a, a very different sort of uh, place right. for a battle that we, I don't think that we've seen in the same way with a yeah. big ship with big guns. Right. So that was very cool. One of the little missable details was one of the scenes of the pirates you know, having uh, fun, yeah. you know, uh, trashing the place, looked to me like they were in the bar where they had the standoff with Gideon. And they were uh, looking out sort of through the same view. So it was like, oh, okay, that's kind of, you know. Well, isn't that bar now at school? Right, exactly. And now it's a bar again. So they so. finally got in. Yep, they, they did. Good for them for a minute. All right, Din pulls off the fighters and the Corsair away from the town as Bo comes in to drop the rest of the Mandalorians and then turns her attention to the Corsair. The ground troops battle it out and get boxed in, but Paz Vizsla saves the day with his quad minigun, and the armorer takes out a heavy weapons crew. Okay, this was an amazing fight. Really? I loved it. Come on, okay. man. You gotta right, see right. the armor, uh-huh. you know, that was slam cool. everybody Agreed. with the with the, yep. with the hammer. You got Paz Vizsla finally getting to use that massive gun. I mean, I, I was all in. I don't care if it was stupid. It was fun. It was so fun. One thing that didn't bother me, but I just, it was a a funny, one of those little uh, fun nitpicks, I guess you could say, is how did the armor get onto the surface of the planet? With the hammer of Thor. Right, because the gauntlet didn't land and she's not sporting a jetpack. So maybe she caught a road, uh, got a ride with somebody else. I like Um, to think that she said, Put me on your shoulders, and then yes. and then they just did, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, she probably hits the ride with Vizsla. I bet you he could have carried her. Sure. the The other thing that that annoyed me was like, okay, they're getting uh, boxed in here. Use your jetpacks and get out of the trap. Use your height advantage and get up above your attackers. And the other thing is, when that gun is shooting down from um, uh, uh, Grief's office. You know, two or three people fly up. I mean, he can only shoot at one person at a time. So while a couple are distracting, somebody else can get a shot on. I don't know. I mean, don't get me wrong. I was happy to see the armor, you know, do some damage. But I was just like scratching my head like they, they weren't using their full tactical advantage, you know, given that they've got jetpacks. But anyway, I'll let it go. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Because, you know, sure, they could have distracted somebody, but you're definitely risking a death there. Yeah, but they right? still, You're I mean, a guy got shot. Dying. Yeah, somebody got shot and they were still fine after, you know, getting whacked by Yeah, thing, so. I, but how many times can you do that, right? I mean, it's it, you don't have unlimited health here. Well, at least to get out of the trap of the two, you know, from having the, the troops behind you. Anyway. I think it's a reasonable decision to not jetpack up is what I'm saying. I don't no. think, I don't think that you can say it's, it's, you know, they, they definitely shouldn't have. Okay, so but I had I a bad take during The Last of Us, and I got pilloried for it. So, well, not pilloried. I'm not going to mischaracterize it. But a lot of people disagreed with me. 
I, I really have to disagree with your take here about not. That's fine. That's fine. I think it's a reasonable decision to not go up at All least right. right away to, to, you know, take a second, decide what you're going to do and, uh, and then do something. And then, you know what? The armor came through anyway. Maybe they knew That's the right. armor was there. You know, they got, they got comms. That's true. Yeah. All right. Um, Vane, the, uh, antagonist from before, it looks like he escaped. So question mark, will he be back? Is he going to go report to, to the pirate nation? To and, Hondo? Uh, to Hondo and let him know what's going on. So big open door there. And uh, in another just a weird little interesting detail. Corsair is a term that's basically saying pirate ship. Because you can still have a, a, a Corsair could still be a sloop or a galleon or, a, you know, ship of the line. But the Corsairs were either f- typically French or Barbary pirates. And um, so a ship can still have its classification and still be called a Corsair, but it's basic. A Corsair is only a pirate ship, as far as I understand. So weird little, you know, nautical detail that I had to look up today while I was, you know, doing my outline. All right. Bo and Din finish off Gorian Shard as the remaining pirates are captured. Um, great visuals when they flew through the flames and they're crashing the Corsair. Really, really awesome special effects. Yeah. Yeah, that did look great. All right, High Magistrate uh, Grief Karga grants the Mandalorians a large tract of land. You may not have a home planet, but you now have a home. I got a few feels here, even though it was a little, you know, uh, it wasn't the best writing, but I was happy. And the Navarro natives just going, hey, I own that land. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Are you going to do any kind of purchase of my land? Is there going to be any kind of eminent domain here or is this just <laughs> are you just going to give it away to the mandalorians <laughs> it's just the, the the high magistrate all right the armorer summons Bo to the sewers and to the old forge and tells Bo to remove her helmet and that she walks both paths and can unite the mandalorian tribes seems like the armorer believes Bo about seeing the mythosaur did you think this was a trap at first because i did i th- i didn't think it was a trap i thought it was some sort of test like and it was going to have some outcome obviously but i didn't i didn't think of it as as a trap per se see i thought it was possible that the armorer was like you know what bo has been getting too much reputation been ordering mm-hmm. ordering us around a lot mm-hmm. i'm going to have her remove her helmet and then i'm going to mm-hmm. exile her you know i never i don't have I, I don't have a read that the armorer and i think i said this at the top of the episode is not a zealot that the read is, is that the armor is not a zealot. That's what I've been building towards for the last couple of seasons. She is uh, a strong adherent, and she is a you know, forceful and charismatic leader. But um, I didn't, in the last couple of things, uh, uh, last couple of things, last couple of episodes, you know, working with Grogu and working with Bo and, and saying to Bo, like, hey, you bathed in the waters. And you haven't taken your helmet off since, so you're welcome. You can leave when you want. Like, the door is open. We're, I'm not going to hold you here. But for as long as you want to hang out with us, you're clean, and you can, you can stay. And that really was like, I was, in that moment, I was really like, oh, maybe the armorer is not the, the crazy zealot that we think she is. And so I was going into the scene a little bit more open. And so when she said, take off your helmet, I was confused and worried. But I didn't feel like it was uh, 
uh, dangerous in any particular way. Okay. Yeah, so. no, I don't think that this was unexpected. I don't think it was, you know, it wasn't shocking, I should say. It was unexpected, mm-hmm. but it wasn't shocking. And, uh, but I, I guess I didn't have that lofty of an opinion of her before this. I thought I thought sure. she still had the potential to be dangerous and we could uh-huh. still be subverted at this point. And I thought she could go either way and it would not have been shocking, right? I thought she could go still down sure. the zealot path and it still would not have been shocking. But it also made sense for it to go this way too. So I'm glad that it went this way because here, here's what I am glad about. You know, we talk about subverting expectations. Yeah. This is... This season has really subverted our expectations because I think we both went into the season. We can go back to our season preview. And I think we both suspected that Bo and maybe the armor would possibly be adversaries for Din this season. And that neither of those have come true. I think that was a clear statement that we made was that um, Din was in the middle and we had the armor on one side pulling him one way and Bo pulling him another way. He was even, you know, in episode two and three of this uh, season not long ago where we were talking about that and that is not at all what they're delivering and that's cool i, I i'm really i'm enjoying right. it and yeah. it makes sense i think where we've landed mm-hmm. i don't think that it felt unearned no right yeah i feel it's very earned and this scene was just beautifully lit it was uh really well acted and i i just i i had great feels in that whole thing because the broken forge and the light and the shadow and the, I just love the armor, whoever the voice actor is for the armor and the body actor, just a great character. And it was just so full of, um, you know, momentous portent, I guess, if you want to say something. And, and it delivered and it felt really good, which was really in contrast to the scenes of Grief Karga sort of leading his flock through the desert, <laughs> which was not so great. It did feel a little strange, but yeah. I Two shows did not almost. care that much. Yeah. Yeah. All right. The armor uh, escorts Bo out among the Mandalorians without her helmet on and gives her a new charge to unite the tribes of Navarro so that they can retake Mandalore. Bo-Katan walks in both worlds. She can bring all the tribes together, says the armor. Love it. Yeah. I, I thought it. that was good. Love it, love it, love it. Love Katie Sackhoff. She is just killing it with this role of, of Bo. Her body, because she's actually acting in that armor right. as opposed to a bunch of other people. And it's just, oh, she's so good. I'm so happy that they cast her. You know, I Bo, know she we've had, had our You've had your differences. <laughs> but I think that we could, we could make it. We'll make it as a, I'll make it as a fan of you. All right, It'll so here's, a, here's, here's a, a question I have for you. Um, has Bo-Katan had a real spiritual change of heart? Has her ideas of leading Mandalore uh, changed? Has she softened or her, you know, sort of hard edges a little bit, you know, rounder and a little bit more you know, pliable? Has something happened with her where that she could actually be a good leader now? Oh, oh. first of all, I don't, I don't know if that would make her a good leader. Okay. But... I don't know. I don't know. I don't. Okay. I did not get the sense that she genuinely believed in this. I got okay. the sense that she was trying it out, mm-hmm. and I got the sense that she did not have another place to go, so she was going along with it. So she didn't so, hesitate that long to remove her helmet when told to. But she had. She did. Uh, you could see she was struggling a little bit. I thought, 
Um, yeah, but not not because I don't think it was because she thought she was she's, she's going, going to Mandalorian hell if she takes off her helmet. Right. She just thought she'd lose the get kicked home out that she has. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh God, I got to go back to the the waters and go swimming again. That's what she was thinking. Um, so, well, hear me out on on this thought. So, Bo comes from a noble house. You know, she's been bred to bred. Sorry, that's the the wrong word, but she's been. Uh, educated to lead, right? That was the expectations that she had, and there was a lot of uh, weight uh, on her around that, and then all the stuff that they went through during the Clone Wars. And so there was a sense of entitlement uh, that she had, right? She's like, that sword is mine. I I need to lead. My forces left me. Ah, F them, right? Like, there's a real big sense of entitlement, which has all come from her station, from being born of this house, of House Crees. But here she is with Din, right, who's a simple man in many ways, and Grogu, right, who's, a, who's sweet and cuddly. And then she's interacting with the children of the Watch here, who've treated her fairly and nicely. And she's actually, and they, they listen to her leadership and follow her through a couple of uh, set pieces because she is a gifted tactician and she is a good fighter. And so they're taking her on her own terms as opposed to the terms of House Crees. Oh, you're the head of this big household. Well, well we have to pay deference to you. So we, when you strip that away and then we have just Bo as herself and, and people are relating to her in a more, uh, I want to say human, quote unquote, way, right? Where they're, they're, uh, they're not... Got, they're not people aren't caught up with the trappings of power, and she's actually having a genuine experience with other Mandalorians. Um, I don't wonder if that's changed her in some way and is gonna make her uh, ultimately a better leader because she's not coming with that sense of entitlement. I like your theory. Okay, it's a theory. I think that it's a theory. I know a lot about Bo Katan more than I do, and everything that I have learned about her shows she is great in a fight. Uh-huh. She can be great at leading a small effort, and she is not great at leading a large group of people. Okay. Now, again, we can change as people, but right. I would like to see someone else get a crack of leading Mandalore. You know, I mean, okay. I, I think she's had her two shots. So the, this, the final question I have about Bo's uh, status here, I don't think that the armor has put her in charge per se, of what's going on. I think the armorer just said, go bring other tribes back. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I don't think that she was put, like, in charge, but... Right. I mean, what else is going to happen? I don't think they're all going to follow the armorer. Right. Well, that, that's going to be interesting. They're going to have to create some sort of council, right? You know, some sort of way to bring the tribes together. Because Bo doesn't have the Darksaber... And nor a mythosaur, but she has friends who have both of those things. So they're going to have the new, be, new Republic. It's going to be interesting. going to be interesting. All right. Final scene. Captain Tava discovers the Lambda shuttle that was transporting Gideon, evidence of an extraction uh, and a clue of a piece of Beskar alloy. It's a fragment of Beskar alloy. Are you saying that Moff Gideon was taken by dun, 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 the Mandalorians? Uh, this was just really kind of a bad setup, but I didn't anyway. care. No, I, I, I was not bothered by this. I saw you and David okay. Mack going, yeah. going for it on the Discord. <laughs> I, I was, 
When I saw that, I was like, huh, didn't, <coughs> didn't even phase me. Okay. Uh, it's obviously a big setup, right? And we don't know who planted the, the Beskar armor. I know Alicia posed a theory in mm-hmm. the Discord, which I like. Yes, about uh, some other large looming character. Right, a, a blue character. Yeah. And I like that theory. I won't, I won't spoil it right now, but it's someone we know is going to probably be in Rebels. And who has been name-dropped in this series already? My thought, too, was like, well, maybe it was the Dark Troopers from Season 2, but Luke was uh, able to cut them down with his lightsaber, so they couldn't have been made out of Beskar. Right. But we do know that Moff Gideon had some Beskar, right? Well, I mean, he, yeah, first certainly. First of all, he paid, he paid mm-hmm. in with it at first. Right. I know that wasn't him directly, but that was his right, yeah. crew. His crew. Um, and then he had the spear, right? Yeah. No, the spear he got from, um, I forget her name now. She, that Bo-Katan. was on the planet. Well, no. that was on the planet where he met oh, uh, yeah. Ahsoka. Yeah. All right, all right, that's fair. But still, yeah. but still. But no, that was, that was Mando's. Oh, man, I'm just going to stop saying it. Um, but we know he has a sufficient, quality, a sufficient quantity of Beskar. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure he does. Because he was, if he was involved in... The destruction of Mandalore. The I think that's even where they said where um, uh, the client. Because I don't think we ever got his actual name, but I think they we just called him as the client. Right. Um, I think Paz Vizsla said, "Oh yeah, that's that's that is Beskar from our home world, and the you know the Imperials had it. That's like ugh, that makes me mad." So right. Yeah, I don't think we need another person <coughs> involved. I think it could have just been people working for him. Uh, especially because we have uh, Aliyah Kane, is that her name? Uh, Aliyah Kane, yeah. knowing things in the New Republic, she probably knew where he was getting shipped. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think he didn't really need, I think he didn't really need third-party intervention. Okay. All right, David, let's do a quick break, and then when we get back, we will get into feedback. And we're back. Okay, David, do you want to head into the feedback section? Yeah, a few things. Um, you know, we've shouted out the Discord a number of times. There's been some great conversations happening there on our Star Wars channel. So if you want to chit-chat a little bit more and, and have some fun conversations with other, you know, like-minded individuals or, you know, fans, uh, you know, excited fans, then uh, check out the, the server. Link in the show notes below. All right, Loremaster Dove 71 via Patreon. Uh, another great pod, guys. I'm in full agreement with David on how Bo was appraising the covert training, and I'm wondering if she is purposely inviggling herself into the power structure of the covert. Talking about the mythosaur to the armor, assists in establishing a connection to the spiritual side of Mandalorian culture, whilst leading the warband to rescue Ragnar establishes her as a warrior, a leader, and also brings Clan Vizsla on side. Where do you guys see Bo's arc going this season? Do you think we're teeing up for a return of to a return to Mandalore this or next season? Loving the image of Grogu riding the Mythosaur as the Mandalorian. 
John, uh, I think we talked just a little bit briefly about this beforehand, but any additional thoughts? I mean, I think that's where we're going is... Actually, I don't know if we're going back to Mandalorian, because that was pretty destroyed, right? But I think we're definitely going to a united or partially united Mandalorian population. Mm -hmm. And I think that Bo is either going to be the leader or handed off to someone else. Mm -hmm. I think that we're going to see Sabine by the end of the season. If not, we'll see her next season. We're definitely seeing her in Ahsoka. So, uh, And I love, like you said, I love the image of Grogu riding the Mythosaur. That sounds super cool. Yeah, I, I, I think that maybe Bo was not trying to wiggle her way into the converts, but it certainly happened. I think that the result that you're saying she might have wanted is what she got, whether she wanted it or not. Right. And I think she's coming to it honestly as a uh, rock-solid Mandalorian as opposed to just trading on her name, which is, I think is what I was arguing uh, a little bit before, yeah. which is that she's coming to it um, honestly as opposed to just uh, using her uh, house status uh, as a way to command people's loyalty. She's actually leading people by being on the ground and, and with them. So anyway. Bo, uh, Bo has... I, well, actually, Katie Sackoff as Bo yes. has mm -hmm. done a great job looking befuddled during yeah. these past few episodes where she's sort mm -hmm. of trying to feel out where she's going next. And I think that that tells me that she's being genuine. Yeah, that, that's exactly how I'm reading it. Like she's like when Din said to her when they were down in the mines, he was like when he paused to honor her father and it was a real genuine thing that Din, Din said, she was really moved and taken aback. Yeah. And she then she she brushed it off when she was like, oh, Grogu, like, what are you looking at, man? Like, you know, like, oh, that's, you know, who's got onions in here, right? Like, she's like avoiding the emotion of it because <laughs> right. it had such an impact on her. So. Right. Um, last thing I'll say that this too is, right, and, and we said this before, Din has the Darksaber, Grogu's able to communicate with monsters. And Bo has the knowledge and practical experience of, of leading, you know, large groups of people. So there's some sort of, there's something happened with this little threesome here, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Agreed. All right. Uh, another lore master, Nancy M., wrote in via Patreon. Hi, John and David. I just listened to your latest Mandalorian podcast. Another great week of analysis. I was particularly keen on your discussion about the original Star Wars series and its prequels. While you were talking, I was thinking, wouldn't it be great if the Lorehounds went back and did a six-podcast uh, run on the movies? A few seconds later, you guys suggested it. <laughs> I'm also a child of the 77 movies. I was 13, and I was blown away by the space adventure and spent the summers going back to see it again and again. This is my vote for that. I would love to hear you go through the movies and give us listeners a chance to come to terms with the highs and lows of the series. I was nine months pregnant when I saw Phantom Menace. I couldn't figure out why I hated it, and I put it down to pre-birth hormones affecting my brain. But your discussion today hit on some of the issues with the movies. It would be great to explore that in detail. Also, could you spend some time providing listeners with an overview of the mythology of Star Wars? I didn't watch Clone Wars or read many of the books, so often I find myself a little bit lost. Like today, you talked about The Mandalorian, who was the dad of the kid spit out by the monster? I was lost. Who was he? How do you know so much about him? Well, that second question's a little bit wider and harder to yeah. answer yeah. specifically, John. But first, let's talk about the six 
movies that I mean I'm down or seven movies where do we cut the line eight movies <laughs> you just want to leave out uh <laughs> the rise of Skywalker is that it well no no well oh no it's it's nine isn't it right because it's, it's three nine, threes. yeah yeah, I thought yeah, you were sorry, just no. like, yeah, no. you know what? I'll consider seven. I'll consider eight. <laughs> but by God, I'm not watching nine. You know, that would be um, something that uh, you could accuse me of, but I don't know that I'm that clever. <laughs> so I was thinking I, I was uh, what I was actually thinking of was Rogue One and uh, Solo. Uh, and, you know, do we do we watch all the movies or do we just do the core nine? And I I'll tell you what I had miss, messed up. Let's do all nine plus the Clone Wars and Bad Batch and Rebels. Oh, my Lord. And Andor and Book of Boba You Fett. better Maybe pray that, that Wheel of Time is not going to come back uh, this year. We're gonna, we should go chronologically through every single thing. Ooh. We'll even watch Resistance, which is the animated series made before the sequel trilogy. <laughs> Uh, Lordy, no, I don't want to do that. Uh, no, I would, I would definitely do some kind of Clone Wars retrospective, but I would, I would certainly do a retrospective on the movies. I would definitely okay. do like a podcast each on the movies. What about you? I think it might be fun, and then we could actually get into some of um, this mythology stuff that she's talking here. And you know, we've got a great community of people that we could bring in bring in some different guests and and talk about some different stuff so that could be a, a really cool series not dissimilar to our uh you know the work that we're trying to do with um Silmarillion and right. Uh, Earthsea right? Uh, right providing this extra layer of of context and conversation around them definitely yeah um, i mean i think it, i think it'd be fun i would do it yeah. maybe i think we we were talking off air today maybe if if it's slow at some point if we, if we finally don't have, well, you know, it's possible, not likely, it's possible, but it's possible that May likely. or June becomes slow. If that happens, I think we should look into this. Uh, yeah, we're definitely going to have to kick the idea around a little bit more to work in planning. Yeah. Because we do have a lot. Like we just counted up for April. We're going to be, what, 13 podcasts? And we did six, 19, 16. What did we do last month? I don't month? know. We did too many. It was a lot. So we really do have to balance our time uh, and make sure that we're able to cover some television shows as well. Um, but I definitely think there's a, a place for doing the, the nine movies, doing a retro on, on the nine movies for sure. Maybe one for the sequels. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how much we <laughs> want to go deep into the sequels. Right. All right, Alan JB emailed in and uh, says that, um, so it was an interesting email because they linked a um, TED Talk, a YouTube video of uh, Elizabeth Holmes, who ran a company called Theranos and who has now been convicted of some crimes. Um, but she gave a TED Talk about, uh, you know, medical technology and, and changing that whole game as well as a screenshot of Dr. Pershing uh, and his hologram as he's talking in the opera house from uh, a couple episodes ago. So, John, you had a, a take on this? Yeah, I think, I think it's very possible they were going for this. I think it's funny. I was just thinking the other day, actually, because somebody brought this up, how, how far the TED Talk has fallen. This used to be something <laughs> where everyone was super into them and people were yeah. watching them being like, oh, these are great Too ways to hype. just wax on things. It was almost a podcast thing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but it was less casual. It was, you know, it was more interactive, I guess. 
And um, now people just feel like TED Talks are full of shit. Yeah. <laughs> and I think rightfully so. I mean, a lot of it was, I know a little bit about this thing, so I'm going to present myself as an expert, and mm-hmm. then people are going to rely on this as a source. And I think that that is why people have shied away from them. And we've learned, you know, Elizabeth Holmes was kind of full of shit about her company. Yeah. And uh, so much so that it became a criminal offense. Yeah. And yeah, so to compare this with Pershing, I think that's a lot of fun. I think, I think you know, we mentioned even that, that episode when we analyzed the Pershing yeah. the opera thing. Part I made of a this joke is, about it. Yeah, but part of it also is also like, how do we... You know, it's similar to what we do in the real world, where we we want to feel good as the public mm-hmm. about what how good we are to people, how good we are to to former right. you know former. People okay, are. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm getting it now. Yeah, yeah. And right, really, this I'm up was here. Theater, right, right. Yeah, I'm up here being magnanimous and saving the world. And yeah, no, not really. You're just a egomaniac, or you're on some sort of trip, or you know, you're. You, you're, you're giving yourself a wider impact than you may actually have. Let him have his TED Talk and then shove him in his box. <laughs> exactly. All right. Friend of the pod, Greg Saw, sent in an email to starwars at thelorehounds.com and linked to the Wikipedia article about how the saga begins um, uh, is actually, you know, the background for it. Um, and that was the Weird Al Yankovic song that we were talking about in the, I believe it was the last episode. I did watch uh, The Saga Begins, and it's so good. It is, uh, right? It is amazing. <laughs> the lyrics are spot on because it's set to um, uh, American Pie, and uh, just the, the whole thing, the, the set, the having sort of uh, em- Emperor Palpatine playing the piano and, you know, being in the cantina. Uh, and apparently, and this is what Greg Saw wanted to point out in, in his email and, and linking to the wiki article, was that apparently Weird Al basically sussed out the entire plot and wrote the lyrics to the song based solely on production rumors that he had heard prior to the movie actually being released. That's and then funny. that he, when he saw it, he only had to tweak his, uh, his lyrics ever so slightly. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, a really great thing. So if you haven't seen it, definitely go check out The Saga Begins because it's, uh, it's so good. That's so funny. Actually, I think the prequel books came out before <laughs> each movie. Like, I think, uh-huh. I think The Phantom Menace and, you know, each, each, book's, each movie's book novelization came out a few months before. Right. So maybe that helped him, too. But, yeah, that's sure. so funny that he wrote it based on leaks. So thanks for that, Greg Saw. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's it for our feedback. Again, you can send in to starwars at thelorehounds.com, or you can head over to our website, thelorehounds.com, and use our contact form there. Either send us a voicemail or uh, fill out the little form. We'd love to hear your feedback. And of course, join us on the Discord server. John, should we give our shout outs to our lore masters? We should, but I have to add one to the list because one just signed up. No way, while we were recording? I think it was just before, but we both missed it. So. Oh, man. Here we go. Sarah L. is going to be the, the new one. Amazing. Amazing. I love it when that happens. Yep, there it is. I see it in my, uh, uh, in my emails. Amazing. All right, so our Lore Master patrons, we just had to update our list quick, but uh, Samartian 
Cyrus, Mark H, Michael G, Michelle E, David W, Brian P, Nick W, SC, Peter OH, Bettina W, Adam S, Nancy M, Lavinia T, and Dork of the Ninjas, Dove 71, Brian 8063, Frederick H, and sign up just before we recorded tonight, Sarah L. Thank you so, so much. These are our $10 patrons. They are our heroes that keep the train rolling on at, right right to the station of Lorehound Central <laughs> so that the uh, the podcast can get to your ears and to your podcast apps. And we are very grateful for them and for all our patrons. Yes. Thank you so much. Uh, it means a lot to us. And it's fun when we're actually recording and we get a lore master or anybody signed up. It's like, wow, this is cool. Um, quick shout out to one of our listener countries, Japan. You know, we actually have a few hundred listeners in Japan, uh, which is so cool. So uh, if you're uh, living there or from there and you're listening to us, drop us a quick note to starwars at thelorehounds.com and say hi. Um, maybe tell us some interesting stuff about uh, how Star Wars lives in the mythology of, uh, in, the, in the collective conscious of Japan. Is it a big thing? Uh, are people into it? Are they watching The Mandalorian? We'd well, Davey Mack is in Japan and is very into this show. Into this right. Stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Shout yeah, out to let Davey us know. Mack. Absolutely. Who was a beta listener for our first podcast, by the way? Oh, <laughs> was he? Yeah. That's amazing. Well, thank you, Davey Mac. Um, yeah, give us, a, give us a shout. Let us know what uh, Star Wars is like in uh, Japan. What do, what do people think about it there? All right, uh, programming notes. We're coming to the end of March, and we just did some scheduling for April. Patreon subscribers, you can go to the Patreon uh, website, and you can see our uh, schedule for April. John, you want to just touch base for a few last things in March before we get into the next month? Would love to. This weekend, we've got our first The Lorehounds Play podcast. That's oh, amazing. Last of Us Part 1. Brandon and I are going to be talking about the game. It's very exciting. And if you missed it, we did two season wrap-up podcasts for The Last of Us, Yeah, we which so are on our feedback. feed now because we got so much feedback. Yeah, uh, that was great. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Again, check out our feed for The Mandalorian Season 3 every single week. Uh, the Bad Batch and Visions is going to be coming sometime in early April. We just watched the finale. It was very good. If you didn't I watch it, it I would, I I would recommend watching it. Right oh. after we get off the mics. So. Oh, it's very good. So I would yeah. recommend. Just clarification on Visions. We're just going to talk about Volume 1. Uh, I've wa- I finished watching all of them. And I'll just give a little report on uh, each one of the vignettes. And then Volume 2 is going to come in, I think, in May is when that's going to be coming out. So, uh, But just something more fun to throw into when we're going to wrap up the Bad Batch season right. wrap up. Right, right. So we've got Ted Lasso going every single week, too. That's been really good this season, so join us on there. Those are going to be really short podcasts, so not too much of your time. Uh, Silmarillion Stories, next month we're going to have Mary Clay from That's What I'm Talking About on, and I'm excited to talk with her. We had fun talking with her on her podcast, so now we're going to have her as a guest. Well, I think that's about it that we have going on right now. We have more, but you're going to have to check our Discord where we put our full schedule for april if you want more yeah i'll put the full schedule on the discord uh probably tomorrow or saturday um but otherwise you can go to our patreon and you can see it there um and then just a note a lot of people have been uh asking about wizard of earthsea and part two is going to be coming out in mid-april so keep an ear out and we will let you know when that episode is about to drop 
Well, David, I'll see you next week, but if people want to stick around after the credits, they will get some discussion of Sabine with some Rebel spoilers. Sounds great. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. The Lorehounds podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. And connect with us on Twitter at The Lorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening. All right, so we're back in our post-credits section where we're going full Rebel spoilers. Yeah, like I've got questions about Sabine, who she was. Uh, I've been hearing people talking about is she going to make an appearance in this? Um, I haven't watched all the the Rebels, so you know this, this is a character who's a little bit lost on me. But apparently, she's got some skill with the dark saber. So, like, is Mando going to get some training from her on how to use the dark saber? That's a, a theory that I've been hearing kicking around. But I, I got to know without watching all of Rebels, I got to know who Sabine is and what she's about. Yeah, so Sabine is a born Mandalorian. She's not a foundling. She's from another noble house. She's from House Ren. Okay. And uh, she had joined the Empire at some point. Whoa. Like joined the, she went to the Academy and she okay. was very good. She's always been very good with like tech stuff, with repairs and things like that. Okay. And, right. Because uh, she made this thing that melts the, the, the Mandalorians in their armor. Right. Exactly. So she made a weapon okay. that superheats right. Beskar. Okay. And therefore boils the Mandalorians within their <laughs> armor. Lord. In a kid's yeah. show, in an animated yeah. kid's show. <laughs> And uh, people know that on Mandalore, so they're really mad at her. And she was kind of an outcast. And finally, she comes back and she's like, you know what? I want to make up for it. But at some point, so I think everybody should watch, uh, if if you want more of this, watch Heroes of Mandalore, which is, I believe, the first two episodes of season four of Rebels. Okay. And it's really good. And I, I believe it is the arc where she has to destroy this weapon because the Empire brings it to Mandalore. Oh, wow. Okay. Because there's a time where she leaves the crew of the ghost. That's the main ship in Rebels. She leaves the crew of the ghost to go help her family retake Mandalore. Mm -hmm. And because Mandalore, Mandalore is always in trouble for some reason. It just just can't stay in a good state. And so she goes to help her family. And then the Empire brings this weapon that she designed and they try to get her to fix it. And she says, sure, I'll fix it when she gets captured. And then she changes the settings on it so that it heats up stormtrooper armor instead. Oh, funny. <laughs> and that's how, and you then she PVC. destroys it. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. But uh, it so, was good. So she, um, what is her history with like the ruling powers of Mandalore? Was she a ruler? Did she work with Bo during the Clone War stuff? Like, did she ever like, uh, was well, she, ever... she was she was a, ch- a small child in the in the end of the Clone Wars. I think so she. Uh, I just okay. looked up her w- Wikipedia. She was born in yep. 20, 21 BBY. So at the at, okay. in a New Hope, she's twenty one. She's pretty young. Okay. And uh, I think there were nineteen years. I, I think Order sixty six happened in nineteen BBY. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Somebody can correct me if they want, but it's uh, so she would have been like two years old at Order sixty six. So, did she ever lead Mandalore, or no, was in I, the council, or anything like that, or she was just a tech person? So, I think she, as a teenager, went to the Academy of the Empire, so I don't think she ever really held right, a leadership yeah. role, but she did okay. play a lot of leadership roles in helping oust the Empire from Mandalore uh, with, mm-hmm. with her weapon and things like that. 
and she is the one who gave Bo-Katan the Darksaber. So she she got the Darksaber, I believe, when uh, they went to Dathomir with... Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of things happen in Rebels. A lot of wild stuff okay. happens in the animated stuff, but they go to Dathomir with Darth Maul, and I believe that's where she gets the Darksaber. I could be wrong about that. People can correct me. Um, but when she has the Darksaber, initially she can't use it very well. And Kanan okay. says, I'm going to train you, because Kanan is a Jedi. And right. he trains her to use the Darksaber and really go with it and, and mm-hmm. to... And she he, gets good with it, right? Yeah, she gets really good with it, and, and it, it looks awesome. The, I, I love the Darksaber effect in Rebels. I wish they had nailed that in live action. I don't think they have. But it, it, it's sort of like, it looks like there's almost a delay in where the blade right. is going. we've talked about this before. It's yeah. so cool. Anyway, so yeah. she wielded the Darksaber, and at the end, she gives it to Bo-Katan and says, you know what, I think you should rule our people. And Bo-Katan okay. accepts it. And I guess that's why... Bo-Katan is now not going to just accept it from Din, even if he offered it, because she understands that that didn't work out, that people didn't really follow her because of the Darksaber just being in her hand. Right, and the mythology of the Darksaber is, is that you have to win it in sort of one, one-on-one combat right, and actually best the other person. She knows how to use the Darksaber. Yes, very well. And Right, and so there's a, there's a, this is a thing that people are, are saying is that well maybe uh, Din eventually gets met, meets up with Sabine, and that's where he gets some training. And something about the way she fights with the dark saber is, I I believe it's Kanan suggests to her, you know, fight fight with what you know too. Don't just try to mimic me as a Jedi, mm, and because okay. she's not force sensitive, so she can't do a lot of those things. But she okay. learns to sort of use the dark saber alongside those Mandalorian gadgets, mm. and I think that's something that could be really cool to see Din do eventually. Right. Wow. So this has some uh, real potential. And we, where did she end up at the end of Rebels? Do we know? Obviously, she must still be alive. At the end of Rebels, she narrates it, actually. The, there's a montage at the end that she narrates. Okay. And she says, oh, you know, Hera fought in the Battle of Endor. And, uh, you know, we, we all were part of the rebellion till the end. And now uh, I'm looking for Ezra. I think she, I think she said with uh, Ahsoka, but I'm not totally sure but i i know that okay. she said she was looking for ezra so that's where she was at the end of rebels let's see where she goes beyond that and something important to i i think maybe if if people are not familiar with this character um that i was confused about is that sabine is not satine who is right. bo-katan's sister who is who is not around anymore no she was killed by darth maul Right. And I was confused because I thought for some reason Sabine was Bo, but it was just a name thing. Right. And I was getting confused who was whose sister. So Satine is not Sabine. Correct. And I think I actually mixed it up on our last episode. I noticed it when I was editing. It's, okay. it's so easy to mess up, right? It's one letter yeah. difference. And they're both from exactly. a royal Mandalorian house. It's so easy. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And the Darksaber and rulership and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, I feel a little bit more primed and ready, and, and fingers crossed that we're going to see her this season. That would be fun. Let's hope. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. 
This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond.